This week, we are closing out our financial series with what is certainly the most controversial topic of all, not of all time, but in a financial series, that is charitable giving. Brace yourselves. I share personally, dig into the nature of what it means to give uh, and talk about how I sort of learned that all people have their own true north. Plus, I do a touch, just a touch of begging. All right, here we go. Welcome to Doing the Best We Can with Eddie Hoffoltz. We We hope hope you enjoy the show. (laughs) Thank you very much, Eve and Lucy. Those are my daughters, in case you've never met them. Those are my daughters, Eve and Lucy. They start every show of this, Doing the Best We Can with Eddie Koffeltz. I'm Eddie. It is a privilege to be here with you today as we dig in to this final week of our financial series. We have talked over the last couple of weeks, kind of philosophy of money. We've talked budgeting. Uh, We're going to talk about that again today, where we talk about um, investing in real estate and stock market. And then today we talk about charitable giving. Um, So I look forward to talking about that more today. Just so you know, if you haven't listened to those other shows, you're you're not going to be lost. They all kind of stand alone and they build on each other. So listen to today. And if you find it interesting, you can go back into the archives at eddiecoffolds.com and listen or read the old shows or listen. Yeah, listen to and read the old podcast. Okay, we've derailed. Let's keep going. This is probably a good time to tell you that this show is live. I both record it live, post it on YouTube, hello YouTube, uh, as well as just hit record and uh, as soon as I'm done writing. I do this very purposefully because I want to kind of help separate the distance between the two of us. I don't want this to be over-rehearsed. I I think about something, I really consider it, I write it, and then here I am. So you're going to hear some fumbles along the way and little derailments and little funny things as I read the article. It's just the way it is. I hope that what it lacks in professionalism, we make up for in authenticity. (laughs) Who knows? In any event, uh, let's get into this week's main topic. The following financial advice is for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional financial or investment advice. I am not a licensed financial advisor and the content provided is based on my general knowledge. The responsibility for any financial decisions or actions taken based on this advice lies solely with the reader or listener. Please consult a qualified financial uh, professional before making any significant financial decisions. Issue... 37. Unleash your generosity. Well, I've saved the most controversial topic for last, charitable giving. Or if you've been following the full financial series, the remaining 10% of the 10, 10, 10, 70 equation. By the way, if you're lost or you don't understand this 10, 10, 10, 70 terminology, you can catch up later in the newsletter or podcast archive. But for today, just know that what I'm currently stalling on talking about is the idea of using 10% of your money for charity. Yet before we get into the practicalities of charitable giving, we have to address the controversy. A controversy rooted in the deeply personal nature of what it means to give. When I was 19, I joined the staff of a religious organization. I was considered student staff, which was code for a paid internship. And paid for this organization was code for you have to fundraise your own salary. I had to raise $1,800 for a year. As a college student, that seemed like an insurmountable amount of money to acquire. Yet, what ended up being the real challenge 
uh, were some deeply held and unspoken beliefs about charity. As instructed by the organization, I sent out support letters to everyone whom I thought would appreciate the noble work I was doing. I used a few paragraphs to highlight and illuminate the importance of the work, and then I dropped the hammer and asked people to, quote, consider supporting this important work, which was code for, you pay my salary, please. Two days later, I received a call from my parents. Apparently, they had received the letter. They asked if I had sent one of one of those letters to my grandparents. Of course I had. My grandparents were exceedingly generous in all expressions of love towards me. I figured this expression was worth $100 a year. Then my mom, after hemming and hawing, explained that she didn't like the family being hit up for money, and they would just pay the $1,800 to have me stop fundraising. I exited that conversation feeling, I guess, a touch relieved that the fundraising was over, but also confused, a little ashamed, and frustrated at the response. At the time, I labeled my parents as cheap and unenlightened. I blamed our lack of shared values. I was annoyed that they couldn't see the real importance behind my eighteen hundred, uh, behind what my $1,800 salary would be doing to make the world a little bit better. I was mad that they were embarrassed. It wasn't until many years later when I was given an impassioned plea to support an organization devoted to keeping Christ in Christmas that I became more sympathetic to my parents. As I listened to the pitch, complete with car magnets and pre-populated advocacy letters to elected officials, I was vexed that someone would devote so much time making sure each minivan in America had a sloganed manger on its ample bumper. I was angry that they were using so many resources to push something that, in my opinion, was silly. And I was confronted with being in my parents' position of respecting the person, but not connecting with the cause. I thought fundraising for my $800 was noble. My parents thought otherwise. The Christmas lady really thought she was changing the world, but I thought her efforts would be better spent, well, doing anything else. Nobody was wrong, and nobody was right. We were all just different people doing our best to find our own true north. Back to us today. I know there is a hunger with this topic for knowing what's right when it comes to charitable giving. This is evidenced in part by the sheer number of emails and DMs I've received where people are hoping I definitively answer questions about the concept of tithing and where to give specifically. But questions like that are impossible for me to answer because they are yours to answer. I've answered for myself which organizations I give to and where to pull support from. I've had to search my own beliefs and determine what I believe 10% looks like and what the concept of tithing means. And if I shared all of that with you, I'm sure some of you would agree, and I bet many of you would disagree with me while losing the more important, larger takeaway. Here's that takeaway. The world needs your generosity. Your 10%, the 10 of 10, 10, 10, 70, will matter a lot, even if it doesn't feel like a lot. I need to share with you a hard truth. And this is me speaking as a relative expert here because for my entire career, I've raised money in organizations exclusively funded by donors. Here's the hard truth. People who care about something usually don't give a dime to that cause. By the way, I I can be guilty of that. It's disheartening to see the low percentage of individuals who contribute financially compared to the total number of people associated with an organization. I've heard some variations of this conventional wisdom that somewhere between 5 and 10% of people pay for 100% of the work. But it doesn't have to be this way. If everyone on the roster committed to giving even just a few bucks a month, 
it would revolutionize charity, churches, humanitarian causes, all of it. If we all budgeted our 10% toward the things that we cared about, philanthropy in our world would be revolutionized. With our collective resources, we could genuinely transform the planet. So let's do it. Here's how. Budgeting your giving. Charitable giving requires a thoughtful approach to ensure sustained impact over time. Establishing a budget for our giving allows us to contribute consistently without compromising our financial stability. While there is no one-size-fits-all approach, the following steps can guide us in budgeting our giving effectively. Step number one, assess your financial situation. I feel like maybe I've said this before, like every week for the last three weeks, but budget, 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 budget. Please begin by understanding your income, expenses, and financial goals. The knowledge, this knowledge forms the basis for determining the feasible amount to allocate towards charitable giving. Number two, prioritize and allocate. Consider your passions and the causes that hold significant meaning for you. Determine the percentage of your income you are comfortable setting aside for charitable giving. This allocation, this, excuse me, this allocation should strike a balance between your philanthropic goals and your personal financial needs. Number three, Regularly evaluate and adjust. Revisit your giving budget periodically to ensure that it aligns with your changing financial circumstances and evolving philanthropic priorities. Flexibility allows you to adapt your contributions to address emerging needs or explore new causes that resonate with you. I'll leave you with this. When I was the junior associate announcement and jokes pastor of a mega church, my fellow staffers would tease me because at the end of the announcements, I became fond of saying, come on, just do something. I couldn't help myself. I'd spend 10 minutes inviting people to all these events that would do so much good for the community. And I just knew that the crowd wasn't going to show up. So I'd beg, which was both funny and people were right to laugh at me, but it was also a bit sad, but I didn't care then. And I don't care now. This is the end of the financial series. And I've done my level best to write a quarter of a book's worth of financial basics, tips, and tricks. I'm certain I've missed a lot. And I know that there are volumes of books worth of topics that I didn't get into. But despite that, I hope that you have at least a little bit of a starting point to do something now that you weren't doing before. It's hard, I know. It's hard to start a budget and face the truths of debt, spending habits, and income. It's confusing to find and call a realtor, a financial advisor, and tell them you'd like to start using a little bit of money to build equity. And it's really hard to be philanthropic when religion, feelings, and families are involved. Not to mention that that 10% towards giving would fit nicely into, say, your checking account. But here we are. Confronted with options for how to slowly and meaningfully take steps towards big change in the world. So, come on, just do something. Please and thank you. <laughs> okay, a little big in there at the end. Uh, we're going to move now uh, into the second portion of our show called The Free Skate. And for this free skate... Um, Wanted to answer uh, some questions. I told you earlier on the show I was going to do this, but just wanted to answer some questions from folks that uh, have written in and I kind of been holding the questions to the end uh, and you all have been really great and filling in some of the gaps of things I missed. So let's get let's get to it. Jesse writes, Eddie, thank you for doing this series on finances. It's been super helpful to think through these topics. 
follow-up question from this week's episode, which I think was the real estate episode. Jesse writes, is purchasing an apartment or condo the same as standalone house from an investment perspective? Okay, Jesse, this is a great question. I should have just uh, put it in the article. So yes and no. Yes, in terms of like anything that's not paying rent. When you pay rent, you're not building equity. Granted, like I live in D.C. It's super expensive, especially towards the city, not where I live, but towards the city. There's a lot of times no choice for someone that's making under $300,000, but to pay rent. But if you're not paying rent somewhere, so like to your point, to a condo, to like buying a condo, right, towards a mortgage and a house, any kind of mortgage, anything other than rent, then in theory, you are building equity. But Jesse, this is, oh, by the way, Jesse, I just saw your email address. I bet you recognized uh, what organization I was fundraising for earlier in the newsletter, didn't you? Okay, sorry, back to it. Jesse, to the question, though, um, it's all a matter of math. Okay, so when you're looking at uh, investing in any property, there's a lot of, they're not hidden costs, but costs that seem small that actually cut into the margin. So, for example, a lot of apartments and condos are a great investment because typically, not always, typically, they can be a less expensive barrier to entry, right? So maybe they cost, maybe houses in your neighborhood cost a million, maybe a condo costs 200000 Maybe you can invest in a condo, but also there might be HOA fees or things associated with that condo that also factor into the math. So yes, you can build equity through the purchasing and the paying towards an apartment or a condo uh, or, you know, a condo, townhome, any piece of property. I would encourage you to speak to your realtor about this and weigh the pros and cons. At the end of the day, the principle is that you are paying into this. The reality is a pretty complex mathematical equation that is not complex to a good realtor. They will help you see the cost, the hidden costs, the the costs that you don't understand, and help you make a wise financial decision. But yeah, totally. Condo's a great idea. Becca, by the way, Jesse emailed that in. So you can always email me, eddie at eddiecoffolds.com. That's my real email address. Becca on Instagram wrote, Eddie, after listening to the last... I like one that put an exclamation mark. Hold on. Quick sip of DDT. I put my Diet Dr. Thunder in a coffee cup so that people in meetings don't know that I'm drinking soda and I don't look all <laughs> tacky in meetings. I just had a meeting right before this, so, but I didn't want to fool you. All right, so Becca on Instagram writes, after listening to the last two episodes, I have a question. Where does your mortgage fall in the 10, 10, 10, 70 uh, equation? I initially assumed it was part of the 70, but if real estate is an investment, would the portion of your mortgage be applied to the principal, be considered part of the investment 10%? Becca. So um, there is no right or wrong answer to this. Yes, it can go either way. If you have no idea what Becca's talking about, I don't want to review a whole week's worth of article for you. But um, there is this idea of when you're investing in property, uh, whether it be through a mortgage or maybe a second piece of property or a second, like how do you allocate this money into your overall percentage? So uh, Becca, there there are tolerances, right? And there's ability. Um, for most of my life, that kind of that 10% uh, that were that mortgage has been part of the 10% that I'm putting towards uh, putting towards uh, investment in real estate. Like that was the thing, which is good. Um, now, at this point in our budget, uh, because we have cut back on expenses and because we have just worked for this over the years, our mortgage actually does come out of our 70%. So there's a whole other 10% 
that we will use and are using on other options for real estate. Um, this really comes down to like, I don't want the baby to be thrown out with the bathwater. The most important thing is right. Just the concept that you're paying a mortgage anywhere. If you're paying it anywhere out of the 70, 10, 10, 10, right. I'm not charity, not the other two 10%, but if you're paying it out of the 70 or the 10%, good on you. You're building equity. I think the goal is ultimately to make that 70% um, do as much work as humanly possible, which means lowering the budget, lowering what you're spending, possibly increasing what you're making, but really making that 70% do a lot of work so that the, those other three 10% can be expanded. Was that confusing? Yeah, I think it was. Abby writes, <laughs> just move on. Abby writes, I'm enjoying this series. It's kind of like a punch in the gut and reminding me to do better, but still kind. That's nice of you to say, Abby. Uh, you've built up trust on other issues. Oh, this is funny. You've built up trust on other issues so I can take the big brother type truth talk. <laughs> oh, that's rough. I know what she's saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, all that to say, is there an app out there that would help me with budgeting and use the envelope method without using cash? I really need to do better. My Excel spreadsheet says we're doing just fine and our account says the opposite. Okay. So, um, this was a little too complex to get into a series, but there's actually two different things that, that are involved in budgeting. And I, this may have been a miss, but I'm glad you brought it up, Abby. There's both budgeting, which is in an ideal scenario. Here's what we're making each you know, two weeks, each month, each year. Here's how much we're spending. Here's how those line up. Here are the choices that we're making. Great. We have a, in theory, balanced budget. But budget doesn't always mean reality. So you then move from budget to tracking that budget. Um, I use, and I'm not endorsing this, there are certainly better products out there, but I use an online program that's really simple. I think it's free. Yeah, it's free. It's called Mint. Um, it's by the folks that do like QuickBooks and stuff. And you set a budget in there. So that's the budgeting piece. And then we're tracking daily expenses. Um, so that's what I, I use. The envelope method that Abby is talking about, I think comes from Dave Ramsey. And it's this concept of, all right, you, you actually have a series of envelopes that correspond with your budgeting category. So if you have budgeted for a month, whatever, $100 for entertainment, right? You would put a hundred dollars in an envelope. You would spend from that envelope. And the idea there is that it helps you stay inside budget. You can only spend what you physically have in this world where cash has accepted less and less and credit, uh, or some sort of plastic Apple card phone thing is the only thing that it's accepted. It's less and less practical. And so I get that, but the modern envelope really is making exactly what you said. Your Excel spreadsheet match the accounts, because ultimately we can set the best budget in the world, but if we don't track and follow that budget, then it's just a thing that we did that felt good at one point. Um, you got to be able to track that. And so I use mint.com, but there's QuickBooks. Um, there is, and I would say this too, there is just like using a daily Excel ledger and going in once a week, adding in your expenses, seeing where you're at and tracking them. Um, but you gotta, gotta find a way. So mint is the actual answer to your question, Abby. And finally, Rachel asks, uh, how do I invest ethically? I've always been told it's wise to put money in a 401k. Yes, for retirement savings. Yes, but I've been increasingly uncomfortable with sharing my money with corporations who are ruining the planet and failing to treat employees with dignity. So all that as a privileged person, uh, I can receive a monetary return. Rachel, here, here. 
Um, here's the good news. There is no shortage. You, like, you are not the first person to ask this question. I mean that in a great way. If you do a quick Google search of ethical investing, there are both, and, and I, I'm actually not going to give any websites because I'm nervous to give you a website that, uh, that I both haven't used personally and I don't know. I don't know if they are ethical. I haven't done enough vetting to put it on a podcast and newsletter. But a quick Google search of ethical investing will show no shortage of resources of places that are both willing to invest for you ethically. And we're talking big corporations, like big like places that have like really good reputations behind them. Um, oh, the music just changed and it really threw me off. But uh, so you'll find those places. You'll also find advice for uh, stocks and options that, that are ethical. So... Uh, I know the answer is Google it, but yes, Google it. The other thing too is if you're working with a financial advisor, their job is to answer your questions. And so if you are, even if you're working with a like online financial advisor, like you've gotten into like a Morgan Stanley online or one of the, you know, just one of the big ones online, you can ask them about ethical investing. The big question of this is how to know what's ethical. Um, and for that, no one will be able to do the research and no one will be able to, and it kind of connects to the charitable giving today. No one will be able to do for you uh, what what only you can do. And so you're going to have to do the research and say, yes, I want to give this company. No, I don't want to be a part of this company. Um, it is a slog for sure. And like anything, like if we decide to buy only organic food or only fair trade uh, products, right? There's there's a cost benefit. The benefit is that we know that we are supporting something that does that does good in the planet. The cost is more. Typically, these things are more expensive, and so sometimes with ethical investing, especially hardcore ethical investing, you may miss out on investment opportunities that are uh, less ethical but have bigger returns. It's up to you to decide if that's worth it. But the research is out there. So, okay, uh, those are the four. I just hit my head on the hand on the desk. I think <laughs> I think that'll do it. Let me get the closing music going, and we'll close things out. All right. So uh, that is it for the financial series. Thanks for being a part of this with me. Um, I hope it was helpful for you. I'd love to know what you think. Uh, we are coming up uh, on a break, so no newsletter next week, but I will release a podcast next week. We're going to be uh, – it's a little bonus show talking a little bit more about um, – uh, just some financial things. So I guess for the podcast listener, the financial series ends next week. But uh, gone next week and the week after, we are back with uh, with the advice column series. Ooh, if you have questions for an advice column, and you can just give it to me, like anything, just go for it. The more deep, the more unanswerable, the crazier, the better. And I'm happy to make it anonymous. But we will start that in two weeks. All right. As always, thank you to Uncle Jimmy for editing the newsletter. You can reach out to him. Thank you to That Sounds Fun Network for having us as a part of the network. Make sure you're checking out the full family of That Sounds Fun shows. And more than anything, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for making it to the end of the podcast. Um, and thank you for allowing me the privilege of writing and sharing and being a part of doing the best we can. I think that's it. Have a good rest of your week. <laughs>